Hello everyone, I'm Jacob Kaufman. And I'm Richard Bimmer. And welcome to episode 20 of Rolling Release, our weekly podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How are you doing this week, Richard? Um, pretty good. Alright. Last week, so... Cool, me too. Great. Yeah, it is. Um, and it is December 23rd right now. Uh, we laughed when we said weekly because we've taken about a month off of this show, but uh, we're back for a little bit and we are in a new pre-recorded format, so excited to get right into it this week. Richard, and our first story is the Linux Journal. Um, seized publication last month. I actually didn't read Linux Journal a whole lot. Um, I read some of their stuff sometimes when it was linked in r slash Linux or something like that, but uh, they say the November issue of Linux Journal was their last, and they, they were a magazine that put out one uh, issue per month. Now, they actually used to do print magazines, um, and then they switched over to digital, which is the trend a lot of magazines do. I used to get PC World print magazines, uh, but I unsubscribed when they switched over to digital. Seems the same thing happened to Linux Journal, because after they switched to digital only, they, quote, ran out of money, uh, which would indicate that they didn't have as many subscribers. They say, we got to be good at flying close to the ground for a long time. Um, so this was really a long time coming, it sounds like, which is unfortunate. They think they might have been able to keep afloat um, if they were less of an ethical company. They say, the advertising world that we have today would rather chase eyeballs by planting tracking beacons in readers' browsers um, and putting ads anywhere that those readers show up uh, rather than actually providing value to the brand and readers. They say that they see a future like publishing's past, but it's not now. So they did partner up with Linux Pro Magazine. Um, so Linux Journal had a lot of paying members. They didn't want to make people angry who had just renewed their subscriptions and things like that. Um, so Linux Pro Magazine, uh, just a completely separate company, graciously offered to give Linux Journal members free six issues of their magazine. Um, and Linux Journal members also get for free the 2017 archive. Um, normally they charge for that, but they're giving it to their subscribers for no cost since they're going under anyway. Um, so yeah, it's it's unfortunate um, because Linux Journal was, it's been around for a long time. I hadn't actually, like I said, I didn't read it a whole lot, but I, there were a couple blog posts I read from some of the authors um, of Linux Journal and I'll put those in the show notes. And yeah, they've been around for quite a while. They've got a lot of history and they were one of the more popular Linux publications a while back. So yeah, obviously never good to have less choices of journalism for, for free and open software, but that is, uh, that's ended. Pretty short story there, but uh, any thoughts about that one? Not a whole lot. It's kind of sad. But yeah. I like that they were pretty good about um, trying to partner up and give people who like just paid for subscriptions some actual benefits for the money they put down. Yeah, they really, they held out as long as they could and they tried to go out uh, positively, so... Our next story is a little bit more positive, something new that's coming out. Um, a while back, we did a rolling release episode, and we talked about a whole bunch of different music players. This was one of the last episodes with Mark on it, um, so like one of the first five episodes of, of this show. Now, KDE had a new music player they were working on called Babe, and I don't know if you ever saw that episode of the show, Richard? No, I did not. All right. Babe was an interesting music player um, because it wasn't set up like a normal music player. It was set up to like analyze your listening habits and like recommend to you stuff that you would like. Elisa um, is a new KDE music player and it is much more traditional and I think I might like it a whole lot more. Um, so Elisa 0.0.80 was released 
just a couple weeks ago, and it was the first alpha release of um, yeah of the Elisa music player. So this is the second new music player we've seen coming out of KDE in not a very long time. Um, lots of people have asked, why does KDE need so many music players? Um, especially because right now they do kind of have Clementine, or what, Amarok, I think was another KDE one. Clementine and Amarok, though, they really are dated uh, if you actually open them up and look at the interface compared to other players. You know, I was talking about in that music player episode, I want a music player that's simple and it just gives me a cover art grid that I can click on. That was the one thing I was looking for and I found like two music players out of the dozen that we looked at in that episode that could fulfill that simple requirement. Um, and Elisa, their, their screenshot here, they've already got a cover art album grid in their first alpha release. So looks very positive. Uh, I'd love to use a music player that is um, part of the KDE project and hoping that this turns out well. Now I am a little bit concerned because the design looks a whole lot like KDE Discover. And as me and Richard have been talking about, um, KDE's redesigned apps with their new UX designers haven't been going great. Um, I mean, what were you were talking about before the show, you've been having issues with Discover, right, Richard? Yeah, Discover always crashes for me on Ubuntu. Yeah, I mean it. I've never gotten it to stay open for more than thirty seconds. It's it's got like the dual pane view, and but when you try and actually use it, yeah, it crashes. And I was talking about the KDE um, settings center with their new dual pane view they released to um, match GNOME's dual pane settings center. The KDE one really felt hacked together. Um, in screenshots, it looks nice, but using it, it just feels um, pretty slow and clunky. So, Elisa, the screenshot does look kind of like one of the newer KDE applications like Discover or the new dual panel setting center. Um, so, I am a little bit concerned. It just, just like the the way that they've got transparent elements and just the the entire layout of it just looks like one of those modern ones and not so much an older KDE app. But yeah, I'm willing to give it a try. The player allows you to browse music by album, artist, or all tracks. The music is indexed using either a uh, private indexer within Elisa or it can also use the Baloo indexer, which is the KDE indexer that indexes your files for things like the uh, KRunner and stuff. Last week, there was another update post about it from this developer's blog, and it talked about some more improvements to the UI. Um, they improved the playlist functionality by making it more fluid, and they added the possibility to load and save playlists. They also made a bunch of miscellaneous improvements, such as fixing the player being stuck when the same track is picked twice in a row for random mode, and um, showing notifications in KDE when a track fails to play. Um, so yeah, I am looking forward to when this comes out. It is currently in the AUR. It is not in Arch's proper repositories yet, but once it does hit the um, official repositories, I will certainly try it out. Uh, any other thoughts about that one, Richard? Um, no, it looks pretty cool. You use... It's kind of a spot up. Yeah. So, yeah, this will like, be more for people who have MP3 collections. Yeah, since I don't own a whole lot of music. Mm -hmm. like as files it's not quite as relevant to me i think as it is to you but i'm still happy that they're designing something that's fairly simple to use but also just has the the kind of basic features you'd want yeah but hopefully they just don't mess it up and hopefully it works like better than discover and the system settings view though yeah hopefully um next up caden live 17.12.0 was released this month you can tell because it's 12th month of 2017 KDE's got, well, they're just following Ubuntu's naming scheme now, but 
Uh, 17.12 was unique because it is the last major release using the current Caden Live codebase. So I've been talking about for quite a while that Caden Live started a refactoring effort a couple, it was at least a year ago. And I actually got a little confused because I thought that they switched to the refactored branch when what they had actually done at that point was switch from QT4 to QT5, but we're still using the old code base. So now they've actually, this is going to be the last version in uh, 2018, the first release of Caden Live will be using the refactored code. Um, in this maintenance version, 17.12, they did have some improvements with proxy clips. You should be able to seek using proxy clips a little bit smoother. And they've also fixed some things in timeline preview, um, such as getting you smoother seeking when you're rewinding playback, um, so watching things backwards. But yeah, next up, they are going to be releasing that refactored code base, and they do have an app image available right now if people want to test it out. So I am pretty excited about that. I have not tried out the app image yet. Um, I kind of just want to wait until the actual stable one comes out, but I have been following that refactoring effort for quite a while. Looking forward to it because KdenLive definitely, I use it for all my video editing, um, and it's definitely a very powerful tool, but it does have performance limits, and I'm hoping that this refactored branch will break through some of those limits that we've been stuck with for a while. What do you mean by like performance limits? Like a certain amount of RAM it can use, or like no. if you put too many clips, it doesn't work? Yeah, or... they're, they're not so much technical limits, but they're things that I was actually hoping that switching from X to Wayland would help with them. Of course, I'm not switching to Wayland anytime soon because I'm on NVIDIA, but when you use Caden Live versus if you're using a video editor on Windows, you see a delay when you're pausing and playing is a big one. A lot of times I'll be playing a video and I can hit the spacebar to pause it, and then when I pause, it actually it stops playing immediately, but then the timeline jumps like three or four frames forward. Uh, which when I'm trying to cut things, you know, in a frame tight manner, frame. that's yeah, yeah that's not. Uh, not very good to work with. Um, also another one is when I'm working with high definition video, um, even when I'm using proxies, sometimes I'll find that when I'm playing back in the timeline and there's a cut that I make in the timeline, it'll actually pause for a second at the cut uh, before continuing on with the next clip, which once again, when you're trying to time things out and make them sound natural, um, hearing a cut in your preview that's not there when you render is really an issue. So. Um, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about that I'm not sure exactly what's going on in the code to cause those things, but I know they cleaned up a lot of stuff with the refactored branch. So we'll see if uh, that stuff is still there or if the new code affects that at all when it comes out next year. Uh, and next yeah, that up, should be pretty interesting then. Yeah. Next up is a pretty big story, Ubuntu 17.10. Uh, currently, there is no download link for Ubuntu 17.10. Now, Richard, when I sent you this story, Ubuntu literally just removed the download link and didn't say anything about it. Um, you said that they do have a message on their website about it now? Yeah. So if you go to download the desktop one, it says it's discouraged, but you can still download it through mirrors. Right. It's um, just not, there's just not a direct like download button anymore. Right. So if you're not like looking carefully and not clicking the download mirror button, you might not find it. Yeah, so the reason this is happening is because there was a bug found in Ubuntu 70.10 that actually corrupted the BIOS of many Lenovo laptop models. And Richard, you said that it was also some other models, or was it just the Lenovo? From what I heard, there were some, I think, other models. I think it may have been other models of Lenovo. Okay, so ThinkPad. like not just the ThinkPad, but their Yogas and stuff. Yeah, it's also supposed to be a Linux kernel bug, from what I've heard, not okay. just a 
not just like an Ubuntu, Ubuntu bug. bug. So if you were on Arch, you would have probably noticed this bug also when you updated. I mean, unless it's does it happen at install time or? I we I, we probably should have yeah I'm not sure on beforehand. that but uh, but we do know that many users reported issues with BIOS corruption with 17.10. Um, the thing in the kernel that triggered this was enabling the Intel SPI drivers, uh, which obviously don't appear to be ready for use um, as they are corrupting people's BIOSes. So yeah, this was first noticed on a Lenovo Yoga 50-70 um, after installing Ubuntu 17.10. Users found it was not possible to save settings in the BIOS anymore. Um, after you reboot, the BIOS wouldn't save any of your changes that you made. And more importantly, USB booting is not possible anymore after installing Ubuntu 17.10, which is an issue because we, we're, we all have modern 2017 machines and these Yogas do not have a CD-ROM drive. So yeah... This a lot of things culminated in this issue. We've been removing optical drives from laptops for years. We've been. I'm. I am curious to know. They say BIOS in all of this. It's all BIOS, BIOS, BIOS. But I have to imagine these machines are using UEFI, right? Yeah, I like think they, it was both. Yeah. If I, I mean, if I do a search for all right, so the UEFI BIOS is what is affected because with a regular old BIOS, there's not really much interaction that could even happen. You know, if it's hard coded into yeah. the, it used to be where it was read on, literally read only on the motherboard, uh, but with UEFI and Safe Boot and all that stuff that Microsoft's been pushing for and Linux has been adapting to, we've got a lot more interaction between the operating system and the BIOS now with UEFI on things. So that's sort of made this possible, probably. And yeah, at any rate, if you're currently using a Lenovo laptop, you should probably not install Ubuntu 17.10. Um, I thought it was very interesting. Richard, do you think that it was warranted to take the download button down from the page? Um, uh, because of this not. issue? I, I think the system, I think what they've done now is probably better where they okay. just have a warning. And I don't mean to like pressure you. It sounded it. like you were kind of for it when we were talking before the show. Like if, if you th thought that was what they should have done, that's fine. Um, but you, no, I don't think that should have removed it completely. But I like more supportive of their of what they have yeah. now. Yeah, I mean the message that you you want people to know what's going on for sure. Yeah. Um, In fact, the whole yeah, just taking it down with no message, I thought was not. Yeah, because really then if I wanted, let's say that I got tired of Arch and just wanted to switch back to Ubuntu on that specific day, but they happened to have the download link removed. If there was nothing to tell me what's happening, I would just say, well, Ubuntu's website uh, clearly doesn't want me to switch to Ubuntu, so I'll go and use something else. Um, and it's interesting when you go to ubuntu.com, you actually like there's no there's not even normally a big download button anywhere. Um, you have to either scroll near the bottom of the page or you have to go through several menus before you even get to the download page, um, which I always think is interesting because Ubuntu is the most popular Linux distribution, but the download button is normally front and center on distro pages, whereas Ubuntu it's really kind of buried even when they're not hiding it even more, which they're currently doing. Well, like, if you go to Ubuntu and then downloads in the navbar and then hit, like, server, there's two giant download buttons for the different versions of the server. But oh, there's a downloads like button. Desktop. All right, yeah. see, I always click the, the desktop bar. button, and then I have to click the download button on that page, which takes me to... All right, so I can go downloads here, and then um, Ubuntu desktop. All right, still a few clicks. There's just, there's a lot of stuff, you know, downloads is the last yeah. thing in the nav bar, like cloud, server, containers, that stuff just makes me fall asleep, like containers, core, <laughs> internet of things, like I don't care about any of that. 
Um, they probably should have, you know, put downloads like as the first or second thing in the nav bar. Right. Because people are just clicking through all the stuff. Particularly uh, <laughs> since they're trying to appeal to be more user friendly to like yeah. someone who's new. At this uh, point, we're just, just like, critiquing Ubuntu's, uh, Ubuntu's <laughs> yeah. website, though. This isn't about the story anymore. But um, that <laughs> that bug still is in effect. So watch out for that. Don't install Ubuntu right now on a on a Lenovo laptop. But uh, we'll have the bug thread in the show notes if you want to follow what comes out of that. Um, so, Richard, what's going on with Opera 50? So, basically, Opera 50 has released um, their release candidate RC, and one of the main things that they're talking about in their blog post is that they have an anti-Bitcoin mining feature. They call it Bitcoin, but it's really just cryptocurrency mining in general because one of the biggest kind of things that was in the attention recently was CoinHive, which is a site that allows webmasters to basically let... Um, make additional money by basically using the people who visit their site as a um, miner in mm. the background. So one of the interesting things about this is in Opera 50, they're basically making a way to completely just block that, and they're trying to do it in the same way that you would block ads. So yeah. it somehow finds the fingerprint of the mining scripts and has like a bunch of different mining scripts, I guess, in it to be able to detect them, and it just blocks them entirely like it would an ad. Yeah. Um, Chrome has a similar solution, or has tried like something similar, but they do, once the web browser starts using more than like 50% of your CPU for a certain amount of time, yeah. it just allows you to disable the script entirely. Which Whereas could also them, block like botnets yeah. and things, in addition to cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Whereas Opera is doing a more direct approach, like, the problem is it's also more of a race, because they got to keep up with people constantly changing the scripts and finding new ways to get around the filters. Yeah. So it's like an interesting built-in approach yeah and like chrome said we're gonna let um chrome said we're gonna let like extensions handle this feature and not let our core our core browser handle this so it's kind of two different philosophies to approaching this but opera has i mean in some ways this is better if you want a direct kind of way and um, it's kind of interesting because this way it can never run to begin with right one of the interesting things this article also mentioned was that there are new attacks that will try and um continue to mine cryptocurrency after you close the tab. Mm -hmm. And so this was this is not directly related to Linux, but it can affect basically any operating system because it was a pretty smart way they did it. And basically that certain sites will attack by using a... Um, so when the user visits the site, it loads it in the background and makes a pop under window that will hide under the taskbar itself. Right, and, and this, is a, this is a Windows-specific technique. They show it specifically for Windows, yeah, yeah. But I feel like it could affect even Linux as long as they let things pop under the taskbar itself. Yeah, which is a big if, if they can manage yeah. that. Yeah, but it seems like KD, as we were talking about, you can put things off screen completely. Yeah. So you might be able to just try that as an approach. But then how many people are using KDE compared to GNOME? And can you do that in GNOME? Yeah. That's the problem with trying to attack a Linux user base. But it sounds like they do still need to have a window open, in even in Windows, when they're doing this. Yeah. It's just a pop-up. And it basically just trip. In this example, it was just tricking Chrome into staying open, essentially, in the background. Mm -hmm. And then they would only use, like, 10 to 20% of your CPU usage so that it didn't seem really obvious if you had Task Manager open and your CPU was maxed out at 100. Yeah. Other than the fact that Chrome is showing up when it's not open. <laughs> yeah. But that kind of happens anyway with some of the persistent Google stuff that Google themselves do, so... Yeah, yeah, so it wouldn't have been all that. Or even um, Electron, doesn't that use Chrome's engine? Yeah. Show up as Chrome's task. Yeah, that's or true. Not. So, yeah, it's an interesting way that they did these attacks, and Opera would then definitely be able to block that in this release candidate, which is kind of an, 
which is definitely interesting to see. And maybe it'll prompt Google to try a similar approach. I feel like they probably won't with Chrome, but it's just nice to see that someone's going for this because it might encourage other browsers to go a similar way as well. Yeah, I, I think Chrome is more likely to stick with what they're doing with trying to block it at the performance level because... Chrome, um, this actually, this article on Opera's blog alerted me to something that I was not aware of. Uh, Opera says, we, the only major browser with an integrated ad blocker, um, have a built-in solution for this issue. And uh, first of all, I don't know if they're the only, quote, major browser with an integrated ad blocker. Uh, the Brave browser does have an integrated uh, blocker that they advertise very heavily with why you should come and use Brave. And even though Brave is has a very small user base, so does Opera, you know, compared to like Chrome and Firefox and everything. Um, so if Opera is going to consider themselves a major browser, I would probably call Brave one as well. But I didn't realize Opera had an integrated ad blocker. Did you? Um, no, not until this article. But like I've you don't really have to install Opera, an extension so. or anything. It's just in the Opera settings. And um, the reason I don't think Google would go this route is because Google is an advertising company. So they're not going to yeah. install an ad blocker in their browser unless they're going to block everything that's not Google ads, which would just be terrible. Um, for for the internet ecosystem, if if Google decided to do that, but but yeah, it's really interesting. What do you think about having an ad blocker built in? I don't know. In some ways, I don't actually like it because I'd prefer to be able to have that kind of decision up to myself. Mm -hmm. I do think overall that having like the cryptocurrency mining blocker built in is probably a good thing. Although I think yeah. it is disabled by default. I don't know because they tell you how to turn it on. Uh, it it says, doesn't really mention what... Well, it says, yeah, enable Opera's ad blocker to prevent... And this is how yeah. they pitch it. Like, simply enable Opera's ad blocker to prevent cryptocurrency mining sites from doing their dirty work on your computer. So they're really trying to get users who don't know a whole lot to disable ads. Um, even if it is disabled by default, yeah. which I'm not sure if it is or not, they really just act like there's no reason not to have this thing turned on. Um, Richard, do you use, like, yeah. ad block on a regular basis? Yeah. You do? So one of the main things I have, I have uBlock Origin on one and AdBlock Plus on another system. But basically, I use it kind of when I'm just browsing the web on a site I'm unsure of at first. Because okay. so like some of the sites often when you're searching are not that good. Mm -hmm. And especially since ads are getting more and more kind of targeted and malicious. But often then I'll disable them on a site as soon as like I as soon as I trust it or decide like it's good. Yeah. And I feel like if it's integrated directly into the browser, you don't get that like level of freedom right as much i mean it's kind of the like way you have a pop-up blocker integrated in your browser you don't really get to level to choose easily other than when a site tries to display a pop-up sometimes you can like choose to let it through mm -hmm. but i think it's kind of i'd rather have that option be up to myself because i like to be able to still like let youtube ads run and i like to be able on sites that i use let them run ads as long as they're not disruptive yeah as long as they're not like making say pop under windows or filling up my whole screen one of the like ads, like as soon as if a site does the ads where you have to wait five seconds to view the article on their site and yeah. see a full page ad, that's like when I'll use an ad blocker. Hmm. But if they're just small ads, kind of here and there on the screen, I like usually will just disable the ad block uh, the ad blocker on that site because I feel yeah. like it's fine. Yeah, I used to I used to avoid ad blockers um, just about completely because my website has ads on it, my YouTube channel has ads on it, and my philosophy was I'm wanting other people to view my ads to give me money, so I don't want to use an ad blocker and deny other people what I'm asking. Um, I did go through a stint for a while where I was using um, uBlock Origin. I kind of used the same kind of did the same thing as you did where I would leave it on by default, but then once I got familiar with the website, if I wanted to support it, I would turn the ad blocker off. But I, when Firefox 50, when Firefox Quantum came out, what was it, 57? Was that Quantum? 
Um, yeah. It's been like a month now. All right. Yeah, when Quantum came out and things sped up a bit to where I can now render ads without the whole browser slowing down, I actually disabled or I completely uninstalled Adblocker, so I don't have that installed right now. Um, once again, for the same reason, because I'm still running ads on my own stuff, um, a lot of people... There's a philosophy going around the internet with technical users who say, oh, well, ads are unethical, so we should just not use ads. And um, if you're going to be supporting companies anyway by you know, giving people money on Patreon or whatever, then that's one thing. But then here at Nerd on the Street, we don't have very many patrons, so I know most of the people who I know that use Adblocker aren't actually putting their money where their mouth is with regards to that. Um, so I don't have an ad blocker enabled right now. If Opera has a built-in ad blocker, if Google decides to go the same way in the future, um, if Mozilla ever decides that they're anti-ad, then it's going to cause a lot of problems for, for online, um, publications that rely on ads, I think. But, yeah, we'll see yeah, where that goes. Yeah, if any goes. major browser were to do that, I'm kind of, at a certain point, I just don't like the idea... I don't know. I just lost my train of thought here, but I had something I wanted to say. <laughs> you don't like the idea of something about ads? Well, yeah, because we don't really have an alternative for sites making free, for that sites that make free content, we don't have an alternative for them to make money right. other than, say, Patreon. So if you're not supporting that, if you're not, like, subscribing to the people, then, and then you're also blocking the ads, you're basically getting, you're almost stealing the content. You're just getting for free, essentially. Right, and I don't like to back. use words like stealing, uh, because, yeah. the you know, I'm putting the website out there for free anyway, and um, that's getting into, you know, intellectual property, which, yeah. as a free software community, we kind of don't, don't like to rely on it. intellectual property. Well, we have it, but we don't like to use it the same way that more commercial entities do, but... An alternative, though, is what Brave is trying to do. So Opera has a built-in ad blocker, and it just blocks the ads. What Brave does is it actually it blocks ads, and then it replaces it with Brave's ads from their own ad network. Um, and then, in addition to that, you can have those ads on or off if you're viewing, but then people who use the Brave web browser can... I think what what it, how it works is they can pay Brave to not see Brave's ads, and then Brave distributes the money that they get from that to websites based on how many times people using Brave has visited the website, um, which is a pretty complicated setup. I actually went and have you signed up for Brave's uh, ad network yet? Probably it would not be like doing anything for me. I guess it seems weird still because at a certain point that they're taking a cut. <laughs> Yeah. Know, of what someone well, else was already what, setting up. My issue with it, you cut out for a second, so I didn't hear everything you said, but I assume you said you have not signed up for that. No. Okay, yeah. Um, I went and signed up for it, and I really didn't like... I didn't like the idea of signing up for it, but what the deal is, they're doing this whether you like it or not. Like, if someone... Let's say that you get approved on AdSense and you got ads running on Minecraft Media again. Um, Brave is going to block your ads, and they are going to put their own ads on your website. Um, and you can either choose to sign up and get paid for it, or you can not sign up and not get paid for it. So I figured it was better to sign up and at least get paid for it. You know, whether I agree with what they're doing or not, they're doing it. So if I can benefit from it, then might as well um, was the reason I went and signed up for it. And I'll see. I haven't signed into it yet. It's been like a couple of weeks. So I'll, it'll be interesting to see if I've made anything from it yet. But yeah. Oh, yeah I feel like they must have a pretty small market share, though. Oh, unless... definitely. Is there any... I'd be curious to see their network stats. Do they have, like, that posted? 
Um, I'm not sure. I would have to do more research on that. But I just wanted to, uh, yeah, address the fact that we've got mainstream browsers. Brave, I wouldn't necessarily call mainstream, and Opera, I would, um, even though they do both have very small market shares. Um, just wanted to address the fact that we are seeing those ad blockers built in now. So that is going to change the way the internet works. I guess we'll move on to our next. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you interesting. Can... They don't replace. It looks like they don't replace ads. They consider clean ads that aren't slow tracking or yeah. malvertisements. I don't. I would, would have to be curious it's as what really they consider a clean ad. Really subjective, though. Yeah. Um, because like you could say something's tracking or slow. I mean, obviously, malvertisement we can measure pretty easily, but you could yeah. definitely say something's tracking or slow, and we're not exactly sure on it. Like, mm -hmm. you, you could probably just say AdSense ads are tracking or slow ads. You can certainly see the tracking, probably. Mm -hmm. I want to sign in to my uh, Brave account now and see if I'm in anything. Now, they actually, their system is super clunky uh, because I you can do it for websites or for YouTube channels, and I did both. But then I had to sign up for a completely separate account with a separate email address for both. Um, so yeah, they're really, and I emailed them about it and they said that's a feature we we're working on but we don't have it yet. And I said, all right, well I only have one out of my four YouTube channels on your system right now so you need to get on that. How do I even sign in? Here we go. Are you, is it on brave.com? It's, no, it's publishers.basicattentiontoken.org slash publishers is what it's oh, okay. at um because they're calling this cryptocurrency or the, it, it's like a currency the basic attention token is what they're trying to to use all right so see this is how it works enter your domain to log in so nerdonthestreet.com email address no i'll just do the domain so email me a link couldn't find a publisher with that domain name well, well that's not uh because i signed up let's try youtube.com slash nerdonthestreet couldn't find a publisher with that domain name Interesting. So I signed up and they took me out of their system. Nerdonthestreet.com. I'll try it with the HTTPS. How about... This is actually making me a little angry. If I signed up... Yeah, I couldn't... Alright, start it. So I can start a new verification. Which I don't want to do. There was no verification last... Alright. See, this is my issue with, with Brave. Like, they've got all this stuff about, oh, we're, we're taking back control for users and we're trying not to screw publishers over, but you've got a, a website that, first of all, was clunky to sign up for in the first place, and then after I sign up, I come back two weeks later and you're telling me I'm not signed up for it at all. Um, so really, Brave is just wanting to keep all that money for themselves, it seems like, more than actually trying to help anyone. So um, they made an entire cryptocurrency for this? They made an entire... Well, I don't know if it's a cryptocurrency. I think it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's under coinmarketcap.com slash currencies has. Okay. Well, I don't have any of it because they... It, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got the email um, that says, oh, you signed up. All right. I'll take a look at that after the show. But that is, I'm, I'm going to go kind of start button heads with them if they're actually saying, oh, you need to sign up for my thing or we're going to screw you and then not letting me sign up. Um, but we'll move on to our... You? Did they? Well, I contacted them about how crappy their system was, and they tried to help me sign up. But uh, we'll move on for our next story for now. So NVIDIA has ended 32-bit driver support for all operating systems. That's basically it. Um, NVIDIA will no longer release drivers for 32-bit operating systems. That includes Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows 8.1, Windows 10, Linux, and FreeBSD, which NVIDIA does provide official versions of the proprietary driver for. 
so yeah, I when's the last time you used a 32-bit operating system with an NVIDIA graphics card and proprietary drivers? Many, many years ago. <laughs> yeah, I feel like most of the people who are using 32-bit probably are going to be okay with the, the NoView drivers, um, which yeah. is the open source. The Linux open source drivers are still going to have 32-bit because um, open source you can compile for whatever you want. But there were some questions on r slash Linux about multi-architecture support because right now most games on Linux use 32-bit or a lot of them do. Um, and Steam itself uses 32-bit on all operating systems. I believe that the 64-bit NVIDIA driver works, though, with those. It just is your operating system that you can't use 32-bit anymore. So you, that's probably not a controversial topic we need to have a bunch of discussion on. Yeah. Um, next one, Free Software Foundation added PureOS to their list of endorsed GNU slash Linux distributions just a couple of days ago. Um, I was excited about this. Did you hear about it? Um, not until this article. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, yeah, PureOS is um, Purism's operating system that they make, their Linux distribution that they ship on all of their laptops and things that they make, um, and their tablet, I think. And yeah, for until now, PureOS has always been, Purism says, oh, we're all about freedom respecting software, Libre software. Um, but then the Free Software Foundation hasn't endorsed PureOS yet. And Purism was always like, well, we're waiting on them to endorse it. We submitted it for endorsement. But I always thought like it would be a lot more legitimate if the Free Software Foundation actually endorsed them. Because um, like Free Software Foundation does not endorse a lot of popular distributions. Like Debian is about freedom respecting software as well. But Free Software Foundation does not endorse Debian because they make it too easy to get proprietary software. Um, and that kind of thing I think is a little excessive sometimes. But... That tells me that if, if the Free Software Foundation does endorse someone, it's really like a freedom-respecting distribution. So this is really cool, and PureOS really attempts to add a lot of polish on that I feel like um, some of the other, like Triscoll and Parabola and some of the other Libre distributions out there don't necessarily have a ton of polish. Um, so I am actually really interested in trying PureOS out and seeing how it works. Of course, I would be stuck on... No view graphics drivers is the main thing keeping me from using it on my laptop right now, but I might try sticking it on my desktop for a little bit that's um, currently running Ubuntu and seeing how PureOS works. Um, so yeah, John Sullivan, the Free Software Foundation's executive director, made a quote about this, talking about the foundation's high standards for distros and how PureOS has uh, met those. There's also a quote in this article from the Free Software Foundation from the founder and CEO of Purism, Todd Weaver talking about how, it's funny, he says, PureOS is a GNU operating system uh, that embodies privacy, security, and convenience. They don't even say GNU slash Linux, they just say it's a GNU operating system now. Uh, kind of throwing, throwing in Linux's face what they've been doing to GNU for a while, excluding them. So that's kind of funny. There's also an article on Purism's website about it, a much shorter article, but just announcing the addition of PureOS. Um, there are some guidelines that the distro has to follow there's a page on GNU.org that's got a bunch of, uh, of guidelines, which most of these, like, you know, maintenance, malware, um, commitment to correct mistakes, most distros would have a lot of this, but there's some stuff that most distros don't meet, such as the non-free firmware section, probably. Um, so, yeah. Uh, have you ever, have you heard of PureOS? I think we've talked about it. Yes, vaguely. I, don't, I have never used it, though. Yeah, it's based on Debian. Uh, but it is, like, nothing proprietary. It is Libre only, as is very clear by this endorsement. Um, uh, it doesn't let you get anything proprietary that easily? I mean, 
you can probably download something like a binary and install it manually, but short of that, like nothing in the repositories is going to be proprietary at all. Um, they don't have like like I said, the NVIDIA drivers. They're not going to have. Uh, they're also not going to have like Opera because Opera is proprietary. Uh, Google Chrome is proprietary, so they're not going to make it easy for you to get that. I think you can maybe get Chromium, but not a hundred percent sure. They've got um, Pure Browser in their screenshot here, which is probably either a Firefox fork or a GNOME Web fork. Looks like Firefox, but but yeah, that is cool. So if you're looking for a freedom respecting distribution, I would definitely try out PureOS now that it's got that endorsement. Only a couple more articles here, Richard. Um, AMD has open sourced their Vulkan driver for Linux. Um, source code is now publicly available. This was the last big piece of AMD um, drivers that were not open sourced. Uh, a couple years ago, AMD began open sourcing all of their drivers, and this is not like a community-made thing, like the Novi NVIDIA driver. This is actually coming out of AMD themselves, uh, providing the source code for their drivers. So yeah, Richard, we're not exactly sure. It sounds like Vulkan is a... Um, yeah, from what I understand, Vulkan's like a new graphics library alternative to like OpenGL or DirectX. It's on right. that level. I know it's very popular. Lots of people talking about Vulkan. Um, and I kind of just glance over it whenever I find people talking about it online, but um, definitely... I think, it's, I think it's supposed to be a lot more powerful than both DirectX and OpenGL. Yeah. And, like, able to do a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then it also supports Linux, and so that would, like, if companies that make DirectX, use DirectX, started using Vulkan, it would be a lot easier for games to be ported to Linux. Yeah. Because they wouldn't be just DirectX-based. They could run on Linux. Okay. Yeah, that's a very big advantage. Um because I know a lot of people right now have issues with OpenGL for whatever reasons. Um, but yeah, this is a new option available. And our very last story, uh, Richard, you can talk about Thunderbird. All right, so Thunderbird, the gist of this is Thunderbird is adopting the Photon UI, which is actually used in Mozilla Firefox in Quantum 57 and up. And so their beta builds already have this, they're available. Their beta builds are 57 and 58, which are available for testing. Mm -hmm. I assume they're not on any official repos yet, but you can probably you can probably get them in the AUR, I would imagine. Yeah. And then um, currently Thunderbird 52 is the stable version that does not use it. But this is basically going to bring them looking very similar to Firefox and keep them kind of up with that. But one of the more important things that this article also mentioned is that they have plans to support legacy add-ons for now, and they have not mentioned dropping that, mm -hmm. which is going to mean that the older add-ons will continue to work with Thunderbird, and so you don't have to worry about the chance of not being able to use them anymore, like how, what happened when Firefox updated. Right. They are also planning on supporting the um, newest web extensions, so Firefox-level like extensions that you use that API will also be, able to be compatible with Thunderbird, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. So they're getting the best of both worlds and that they're still supporting the legacy stuff, but you're also getting the newest things in 57 and 58. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. interesting because a lot of people were angry about Firefox dropping legacy extension support um, or add-on support, but you know Firefox is going for as broad of a user base as they can get, and they're trying to win users back, so they needed to... Um, to kind of say, all right, you legacy users in this tiny little group that are using these legacy add-ons are going to have to be unhappy um, for us to grow our user base overall. Um, Thunderbird already has a tiny user base. I probably, what percentage of people using Firefox do you think use Thunderbird? Not many. <laughs> like, do you use a, a desktop email client? 
I don't use desktop email clients, but this did make me interested in wanting to try Thunderbird for sure. Yeah. Because, like, this just seems pretty cool that they're keeping up with Firefox, but they're also supporting the stuff. And mm -hmm. I just I haven't given, I don't feel like I've given um, a desktop email client a fair shot. And quite frankly, I could probably benefit from one because, like, my email that's provided um, through my hosting and everything, they have, a, like, a crappy interface. Hmm. And so it would be nice to actually have a desktop email client to use that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do think the people who are already using desktop email clients probably are more likely to be using legacy add-ons, so it kind of makes sense that they would want to keep support for them. Now, it is interesting. They do say anyone relying on a third-party plugin to provide additional functionality can continue using it, provided that add-on makers make a few compatibility tweaks first. Um, so it's not like you can continue using add-ons that have not been updated. They still need to be updated. Yeah. They just say that the updates apparently are much smaller than the update to web extensions would be. Um, but if you're using an abandoned add-on, it still will stop working. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and the, there's an interesting guide. It's not horribly long, but there clearly is some changes that need to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it was interesting that the OMG Ubuntu article's screenshot shows this on Windows 10. At first when I saw this, I thought it looked like crap, and then I realized it was because this is a Windows 10 task, um, yeah, taskbar. Oh, yeah, I see. At the top. Um, so yeah, hopefully it looks a little better on, I don't know how that's going to look in QT. It'll probably work best in GTK, um, or on GNOME-based desktop environments, I mean. But, but yeah, that is neat. So if you're a Firefox, or, or if you're a Thunderbird user, uh, you have that to look forward to if you've been hoping to get those Firefox improvements there. Um, Richard, that is all the news we have this week. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, if people want to find more about you, where can they go throughout the week for that? Um, at Glorif22 on Twitter or probably like latramedia.com or some of the sites I'm running there. Cool. Um, and yeah, I am at JacobGKU on Twitter and I'm at nerdofthestreet.com if you want to find more videos like this one. Uh, so Richard, we're going to do this again next weekend, right? Yes. Think? Awesome. So we'll be back for at least one more episode before we take another break. We're going to try and keep them going a little more consistently now that they're recorded. For now, though, that's all the news we have. So keep using Linux, everyone, and we'll see you guys later. Bye.